Uh, welcome to Take Your Points. Uh, my name is Ronan Scott, and this week we have Kyle Carvel with us and Niall McCoy, and our special guest is uh, Mickey McCulloch. And today we're going to start with talking about Kyle's column last week, Derby Day, Kyle, that's what it was called, and you were inspired by the golf. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I was maybe inspired a couple of months ago in relation to, um, they did a profile of Seamus Darby on the Loughran Gale on TG Cahar, and it was fascinating, the 1982 All-Ireland Final, and awfully stopping that great Kerry team of doing five in a row, and it was Seamus Darby who was, I suppose, in the autumn of his career at that stage, who scored the, uh, the wonder goal that is continually replayed. And uh, I sort of wanted to capture, I suppose, that great GAA memory. And given that it was the Offaly team, and given that Shane Larry had just won um, the Open and was named champion golfer um, on the, in the same week, and it was actually Shane's father, Brendan, and his two uncles both played uh, on that 1982 team. And his father was actually named an All-Star that year and scored three points in the final. So um, as great as the event that the Open was, and you know a, a lot of people from our office were at it, and you know, there was a great buzz around Belfast and the North Coast, and it was really amazing, notwithstanding the weather wasn't the best, but it was really an amazing event for um, this part of the world. But I suppose the point I wanted to make in, in my column, and something I think has been borne out in the two games at the weekend, is that being a person who follows the GAA religiously, um, we have an embarrassment of riches. You know, as great as the Open was, we have those seminal uh, sporting events almost weekly, and we have playing the GAA, the opportunity at greatness almost weekly. And if you look at the two games at the weekend, like, you go anywhere in the world, you know, Champions League finals, a Super Bowl, and you wouldn't see like the level of skill, the level of intensity and the hunger and the pageantry and everything that goes along with it. And um, watching the Open was brilliant, but I harp back to the 1982 team and the memories that will last a lifetime. And uh, no doubt Shane's father was a proud man when he, he won the Open, especially on the island of Ireland. But uh, being a GAA man, I'm you know proud of the achievements all the time. Are you not falling into that trap that a lot of GA people fall into sometimes where they just put point to another sport and say, oh, sure, our sport's better than that? Is that what you're doing? or? Well, I don't, I don't think so. I think I was also taken about how great the win was. And like to win a major is the, the highlight of his career. But uh, I make no bones about it. I have rose-tinted glasses on all the time when I talk about the GA because that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I've grown up with. And that's what I've played all my life. But... No one, even someone who had come from America, come from Australia, who had no background in the GA, can appreciate you know the level of skill and the commitment of amateur players, and you know how amazing those two games were at the weekend. And in my piece, I also spoke about the the Donegal Kerry game, and you know you travel far and wide, and you wouldn't see that level of uh, sporting endeavour and sporting achievement. So Shane Lowry's was brilliant that uh, he did it, and uh, we were all delighted for him. But um, as a GA man, I think uh, our games are the best in the world. Now, what did you think of the Open then? So did you... Um... I loved it. I loved it. Brendan Larry, uh, I was up Saturday and Sunday and Brendan followed Shane the whole way up um, inside the rope the whole time. He was a nervous looking fella uh, and then seen his uncles after it and all. And on the final green, Brendan got a hold of the, the Clark jug and he was holding it up to, and the crowd were going mad and I just wondered, it felt like a Sam Maguire reel, so it did. <laughs> done. He'd done a good trophy lift to be fair to him. So, no, Cal's point, I suppose, his timing's everything and his point was that, you know, we have it on our doorstep every weekly and then we get those two games at the weekend which were just incredible encounters. Uh, 
I backed Patrick Walsh for man of the match and I'm still not sure how he didn't get it. Like, you know, he must the RT must have heard it backed him. But <laughs> two great games, two fantastic games, two really, really big attendances, two cracking atmospheres and two unbelievable contests and a reminder that no matter what happens, Brian Cody remains the master. And if you can't sit back and appreciate the greatness of a man like that who can take a team that's viewed as being, I suppose, maybe not the end line, being in transition, young players coming through, not the team they were, and to take on a Limerick team that's just been phenomenal this last few years in their organisation, everything. And now, OK, Limerick missed a lot of waves, but when the game was there to be won, uh, Kilkenny found a way, and it was it was like rewinding back 10 years. It was just it's fantastic, fantastic stuff, and I'd love to see Kilkenny go on and complete the job. It's just a case that these top six are so close to each other. I mean, we could have winner, different winners every year. Would that be fair to say? Well, yeah, it's something the football championship's crying out for. Like everyone says, if you took Dublin out of the football championship, it'd be amazing competition. But hurling this last five years, it's just went from strength to strength to strength. Okay, the Munster Championship this year maybe wasn't as amazing as it has been. But if you look at over the last five years, it's been incredible. The Leinster Championship this year, the drama on the final day with Galway being knocked out in such circumstances, it's. You know, I was I actually I had a look at the viewing figures for last year. Um, and there's three sporting events from the top 50 RT viewing figures last year. The hurling was number one, the hurling final, and the semi-final was number three, the football in between. And, you know, hurling is becoming perhaps the sport on a national scale. It's no longer the sport for those, you know, Leinster areas, those Munsters areas. It's, football has been a bit bland over this last couple of years, and hurling has really benefited from it. Um, and our next guest, Mickey McCullough, will be able to tell us a bit more about Hurling and where it's going and what he thinks it should change, how it should change in Ulster in order to improve it. So, so thanks very much for the chat and we'll be speaking later on. In this section, we're going to speak to our guest, Mickey McCulloch, former Antrim player, current coach of Dublin. And Mickey, can you just give, you're a current coach of Dublin, but could you speak, explain to us where you've come from and how you've managed to get to the position where you are now? Um, I suppose growing up, I've always had people you know, take time and um, look out for you and, and develop me. Hurling was a sport I, I just loved from an early age and I was fortunate enough that throughout my playing career I sort of experienced people like Eddie McToll and Joe Quinn and stuff and who, who always took time and, and developed and ultimately any of the, the great days I can think of when I was younger all were hurling related and I would have, I would have them to thank for that. Um, so it was an opportunity that arose around 2004 when the late Jim Nelson sort of had asked me to get involved and give him a hand with uh, Russell Camogie team and apprehensive enough at the start but she, she got involved and found that I enjoyed it like it was people say you know it's the next best thing to play in. and it was because you're back involved you know you're getting that butterflies before game and stuff so I got I got sort of bit by the coaching bug then and from that that, that Ross team actually went on and won a club all earned you know so you were able to experience some of them great highs that actually wasn't even lucky enough to experience as a player um, uh, sort of through Ross I got a job then I worked for Ulster Council for sort of the guts of, of 10 years between Down and Tyrone and, and whatever um, as a development officer and, and sort of you're trying to progress the game and trying to develop the game and you know probably to to little avail as, as it looks at the moment but I always kept on top of my own coaching the pathway then sort of ended up in Dublin was I would have been involved in club teams um, I would have took sort of even Middletown up, up up he up and up in our mom we're looking enough to win championships and win all sorts of championships and stuff out of that um and a chance meeting uh, a lot of years ago with the late uh, great dave billings who ran dc or ucd sorry and I got involved in UCD then and, and sort of up until that point it was always just an Ulster based thing where you'd work with Aaron or work with Aaron. I never ever contemplated really anything sort of at a, what you would call a higher level really. 
So David asked me to come down and, and give a handout with UCD, and we had players, you know, David Tracy, Kelly and Buckley, um, Jack Ganey, Walter Walsh were all playing for us then, so it was the experience of working with her, and he had initially been nervous, you know, she said, I won't be up to this, but you found after a while, and you got confident, and that you, that you were happy enough to work at that level, and then sort of from there, I had been contacted by Chemical Croaks, Wally Baker, and worked in there for a year, unfortunately beating the quarterfinal, and I sort of thought that would be the end of, of my Southern Odyssey. And then a couple of years after, uh, I'd be friendly with Joe Fortune, who would have been the Dublin Under-21 manager at the time, because uh, I sort of played a lot of challenge games with them. Um, would have been involved with that me team that, that, that won the Christie Ring and had to give it back and then win it again. So it, was, it pushed you into a bit of a spotlight, I suppose. And Joe had taken over Ballyboden last year and asked me to go and get involved. And so I said, sure, why not? I'll put Diesel in the car again, the way we go. And you know, we were lucky enough to win a championship and when it went to the Leinster final. And so when Matty took over in the Dublin hot seat, he'd give me a ring and asked, you know, to meet up. And when I met him, uh, the opportunity was there that I just couldn't turn down. Like, what did you think of this season? It was tough. It was tough sitting now. It's tough looking back on it. Like, you know, it's hard to watch any games at the minute. But up until the least game, let's say, it was an incredible experience. You know, I had an opportunity um, and actually early on in the year to go in with Kildare. Um, and I'd, I'd sort of agreed to that, well, I'd never known I'd agree, but I'd agreed. And then Matty had rang, I remember sitting looking at the two at the two championship formats, and with Kildare, my opportunity or my options were home to Common, away to Wicklow. Whereas when I looked at the other end of it, it was away to Kilkenny in Nolan Park, first game of the championship, Sky Sports against Brian Cody, um, and then home in Parnell Park against Davy Fitz and then at home, you know, so it was just, it was the opportunity, you know, I always, even as a teacher, I always encourage kids to try and be the best that you can become, even as a player myself, you know, I probably could have got away with playing up the bit of reserve and sure everybody thought it was a great lad, but just have that something that I always, and my grandfather would have instilled that in me, to be the best that you can be, you know, and, and don't be afraid to fail. So I was sort of, I was apprehensive again and actually, look, do you, do you make this jump? Um, if I went to the Dublin, I had to give up Ballyboden, which I loved. I would have loved to have been back to Ballyboden. Um, but just the opportunity of being part of them championship games, of being part of that, um, and you know, working with the likes of Matty Kenny, who had won two club All-Irons, it was just too, too good to turn down. And to be fair, it, it was everything that you could imagine. You know, the, I always thought like maybe Meath, we would have worked at a good level. You know, we would have had our S&C people, would have had food afterwards and stuff. And you would have thought, you know, does it really get any better than this? Um, Dublin was just frightening. You know, the depth. I mean, we would have a fellow there, Shane Carney, who would do the analysis. Now he's a maths teacher in the school. And the depth of the analysis and stuff that he's getting into and every player and every opposition on delivery, you know, um, you know, even there coming out of uh, meetings on a Friday night uh, with a game on a Sunday, team's named, squad's named. And it's announced, you know, the lads who are in the squad, you have to lift the red bags of food. The lads not in the squad, you have the blue bags of food. And what, what was happening, that was, that was Brendan Egan, the nutritionist, that was there loading for the next two days of what to eat ahead of a game to make sure. And even funny after Leash had beat us, make him home. You know, you gotta remember that the turnaround was only six days. You know, if we would have beat Leash, we were having to play Tipperary a week, a week, in a, a week later. So stuff obviously had to be put in place, even to make sure of, of, of preparation and, and, and recovery. And I remember pulling back up to the hotel in the Louis Fitz and the gourmet food van sitting there because somebody obviously not cancelled it. And there they were with the food for the players for the recovery for that week coming in, which 
they didn't they they i think quickly replaced that food with pints after that but <laughs> you know it's just that and it's a small thing you know we would have fellow there ray finn who would be Kitman, who you'll never hear of like but i remember even working actually with middletown and, and one of the boys fathers jimmy would have been a great old kit man he'd always be there with the water and you know always there with the bibs when you needed it but you know ray to be fair would take that and multiply it by a million you know we would have been playing um carlo i remember going to carlo to play them in a Walsh Cup game, it was my first game involved, and uh, the game was at like say eight o'clock that night, and Shane was fit to tell me that he had contacted Ray to ask him, do we know is there plugs in the dressing room? You know, he contacted him the day before to find it because Ray would have went ahead with the gear. I think Ray had contacted him back at like three o'clock. He was there from three o'clock for a match at eight o'clock, making sure everything. When I walked in my first time walking in the dressing room, you know it is probably a wee bit like what you would imagine, and it's a small simple things. You know, jerseys hung up, the sort of the, the, the we believe and type things, you know, but the, even even down to the water set out, just, you know, even Ray would be particularly about his hurling balls, he can set them out in a wee pyramid. How he does it, I don't know. But it's just that all that level, them wee small inches that probably maybe don't even count for much, but if it's only an inch that gets you over the line as it was against Galway, it counted for something. Do you think that uh, other counties could represent, re replicate that sort of? I would imagine every county is, uh, well, every county in that top level is, is is operating at that level. You know, you see, you hear the stories of, of the likes of Racker Cody, Kitman, but with Kilkenny, and hear the length and stuff that he goes to. Um, so I would imagine that a lot of them counties are all doing the same. Even even bringing it up here, you know, it's starting to catch on. But I suppose. The, the thing is, they have a culmination of maybe 40 different things that, that, that becomes a habit for them. Whereas, I mean, being involved even with the Down seniors up here and with Dairy seniors over the years, you know, they'll do wee bits and pieces and then it's forgot about, depending on what management comes in and what management goes. Whereas there, it just seems to be that's what's accepted. And that's, like, we, we, we had instances there last year and even Ray would have told me off for wearing gear that wasn't Dublin gear. I remember Ray actually pulling Alan Nolan one day and it onto the pitch because he was wearing maybe a pair of club shorts. You know, it's just, they're wee small things of a professional level that they just demand. What do you think about those who would um, look negatively on that sort of professionalism, that sort of, you know, those from the clubs who would say the county team is giving too much money and is giving too much time uh, and that sort of attention is not needed? But if you think about that, that's not money at all. You know, for if I use Ray as an example, or I use Shane, or whatever, you know, it's attention to detail that they're given. It's just something that, you know, that they become enthused by. You know, I mean, I could even, even, even people ask me why would I travel an hour and forty minutes down. And it's just something that really you want to be part of. That you want to test yourself to the highest level, and you want to be. You know, remember if Dublin were to win All Ireland, you're the best of the best. You know, at that level. So, for toxic, Ray wants to be the best of the best. You know, Shane wants to be the best analyst of the best analysts. You know, I would like to be the best coach of the best coaches, and the players want to be the best players. So, that that's that level that you're working at. So, if you want to get that extra advantage, it might only be that wee small inch. It might just be that bit of a feel good factor that everybody's wearing the Dublin gear. It might be that wee bit of a, uh, you know, that one thing that resonates with you from the analysis point of view. It might be something that the goalkeeping coach. Um, gives the you know it, it, something's going to get you over the line at some stage. You know you look at the games at the weekend, you know that were won by the smallest of margins. Well, something has contributed to that margin, and I suppose if everybody's all pulling in that way, then the professionalism isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's it's just something a mechanism to get you that one wee step further. 
And what's your opinion then of those who maybe criticise Dublin and say Dublin get far too much money and they get far too much attention? You're well placed to probably um, counter that. Funny, somebody had asked me about that before, and and, and the, the the thing that's keep throwing up is they, they use the count of clubs. You know, Dublin has X amount of clubs. Fermanagh has X amount of clubs. This is this is disparaging. But what people don't realise is the number of people playing within them clubs. You know, if if I, have, I take it from a hurling point of view, you know, I think even my own club uh, is Rossa. You know, we would have one senior hurling team. You know, back I remember back when I was playing, you would have senior and senior reserve, and maybe South Antrim, you would have maybe three. You know, but an awful lot of clubs up here. In fact, I can only maybe think of four or five that would even be operating with two teams. Whereas Ballyboden, where I was last year, they would have six senior hurling teams. Now, when you have their six, and you add that, they come across seven and. Cool is four and so on. So, you know, it's not a fair comparison just looking at the clubs. You've got to look a wee bit deeper. And funny, you know, I remember um, taking Middletown down when we were preparing for an All-Ireland. And I think it was it was something like the 29th of December or the 2nd of January. It was one of them. It was a day or two either side of New Year's Eve. And we were playing uh, Fittard from Wexford who were in the All-Ireland Inter- Intermediate or something. And we're playing them in a challenge game. We'd arranged the challenge game and went down. And on that day in Parnells, we had to go somewhere else. We remember playing Parnells because Parnells had a regional tournament on where they had two AstroTurf pitches that were divided into four pitches and they had four groups on each pitch. So that's what, 16 teams per pitch. The 32 teams and say each team had 10 players. There's 320 and this was under 10s on the, say, the 2nd of January. You know, so the one thing that I do think is right that it would be a football and thing. It's sort of unfair that the Croke Park is a home venue and then Croke Park is a not neutral venue. But as regards the money and stuff and thing, people get carried away. And I think we spend so much time looking to see, looking above us to see how can we bring them back instead of thinking, what can I do to get up to their level? Okay. What do teams of an Ulster have to do to, that, to get up to that level? Yeah, you're an Andrew man <laughs> working in Dublin. You probably have strong opinions about what's going on up here. Uh, I don't know if it's misquoted or misdirected at times. Like I, I, I wouldn't be here where I am without Antrim. Antrim was, you know, and Ross in particular were fantastic to me over the years. Um, and you love to see them do well. And I think it's it's a bit of that where you'd love to see them push on instead of you know like they're languishing. They're sort of mid Joe McDonough and I and even you know people give a bit of crack you know in the Joe McDonough without even ever winning a Christy ring um, and I think sort of what happened was a number of years ago when they decided to host all Ulster finals in casement and that Antrim would be seated in the final you know the, the, sort of around that time I often thought that that knocked the heart out of everything because the likes of Down and Derry were then looking at thinking geez if we're to win this we have to go and beat Antrim who are you know let's let's be honest about it are better than us um, in their home patch every year, which is sort of that starts to put them off. And then if Antrim aren't getting the proper challenges coming through, you know, you've got to wonder. Antrim, I think, won maybe 10 or 12 ultra titles in a row during that period. But did that benefit them as much as maybe only winning seven? But the four or five that they lost, they had to go to Ballycrown and play down, or they had to go to Slot Nail and play Derry, or they had to go to the athletic grounds and play Armagh, and they might have get beaten them but sure we talk all the time about you learn more in defeat look uh, from that and I know Dunlough talked about it a number of years ago about a team Ulster and I would have been maybe the one that spoke to him at that stage I was involved with an Ulster Colleges team and so many people any time that, that that team Ulster is even mentioned straight away it's no no won't work won't work won't work and 
there's a million things won't work but why are they not even explored you know if you're looking at what's happening at the minute are we saying that we're progressing are we saying that the gap between you know Antrim and Derry and Down and what we saw at the weekend there or even the bottom end of that is closing um, people could argue yes I would sort of think no and but there has to be something to inspire kids you know um, I, I, and I do I on a heart say it like a load of years ago Frankie Quinn left Ulster Council and went to work for Antrim County Board and I think he was the single biggest loss to Ulster Hurland I never thought at the time but I actually look back at now when Frankie was in his job in Ulster Council he pushed programmes you know, he, he, you know, there was this period, I'd love to know what year, it might have been around 2010 or 11, that every Ulster County took part in the Ulster Hurling Championship. It was, it was seeded, you know, for Manor to play at Monaghan, the winners came through to play Donegal, the winners came through to play and so forth. And it was actually the only province in Ireland at the time that every county played in the Provincial Hurling Championship. And now we don't even have a Provincial Hurling Championship. You know, and, and I think that the, the, the likes of the team Ulster is a, a bit off the wall idea, but so was that of getting everybody involved in playing. Um, but it was something that, to be fair to Frankie, he, he was programme officer at the time. He pushed it and he tried it and, and, and you know, did it work or did it not work? I, I would actually argue that it did work. You know, Cal Carville sitting here we were earlier came through that with an Armagh setup. Now, Armagh hadn't really been heard of before and all of a sudden they were starting. I remember playing them in an Ulster semi-final in Celtic Park with Derry and they gave us a hell of a run for our money when Derry was expected to dispose of them quite easy. Um, and I, I would sort of believe that even that Armagh sort of lift that happened over the last number of years, that had to be part responsible for it. The likes of a team Ulster, we ran an Ulster Colleges team, you know, it was a, a sort of a brainwave of Sean McGordy and Seamus Woods and again it was sort of said that'll not work, you know, that'll not work. Um, we based training in Queens and we brought the best players in and sort of what happened and what, what the avenue it gives, uh, gives to you then was we had a number of lads who were extremely talented. We just came in, I come in the Belfast on a Saturday morning, maybe like Friday night or didn't want to travel late. So we were able to cut them and it sounds harsh at the time but I think the biggest thing that we need to, to develop up here is that commitment level again. You know, you're often reading about players that aren't committing to county panels, um, whereas you don't really get so much of that because the commitment levels are huge. Um, at one lad, I remember with Bowden last year, who wasn't getting a run with Dublin, who had been a Dublin hurler for 10 years, you know, and, and, and had not an ego about him, but he would have a name about himself. He was a well-recognised inter-county hurler, wasn't really making it with Dublin, but it never crossed his mind that I'm going to just pack Dublin and come back to Ballyboden. He was there on his commitment levels, and, you know, we, we run so many courses up here at times, and I think, of course, on, on that commitment, and that's why that, that Ulster Colleges thing, we had maybe two or three lads by the time we went to play championship who you could say should be on that team. But that was it. The rest sort of saw, well, if they're prepared to let Ronan go or they're prepared to let Mickey go, then I need to buy into this. And what it actually did encompass them was, even within the counties, I would know, and I would, would still work quite closely and would know a lot of lads taking the teams up here at senior level, there would maybe have a cohort of eight or nine real lads in the Anthem dressing room for talk's sake who really want to drive it on and maybe four or five in a down and maybe three or four in a dairy and maybe four or five. Now imagine if you brought all them together. I'm going to come back to then is the capture the imagination of the children. You know, when I was growing up, we would have left Rossa training at, say, 2 o'clock on a Sunday. Casement was free in for under 16s. No matter whether you lived down the falls or whether you lived up in Polglass, you got off the bus outside Casement and you went in and you watched Anton play Cork or Kilkenny or Tipperary. And I know that's maybe um, snobbery of me, sort of, you know, but that catches the imagination so much more than Westmeath or Kildare or Carlo. Now, 
in order to do that again, you know, in order to capture the imagination, how do we get Tipperary and Cork and Kilkenny back up here to play in front of our kids? And I don't see it happening in the distant future with Antrim or Down or Derry. So there's more generations being lost. But if you were to take that team Ulster for Toxic, even run it over a two-year period, would would they hold its own? Like if you put Connor Johnson and Naran Gaffney's and you know even some of the slot knee lads etc. in in the gallery, put them in a team. Where would they sit? And I've experienced now sitting at Division One B last year with with Dublin. Would they hold their own in that division? Of course they would. Now if they're holding their own in that division, they're straight away playing Dublin, Waterford, and Galway. Now if they got two of them games at home, all of a sudden you're bringing Austin Gleeson, Joe Canning back up over the border, back up to play in Ulster venues, and the kids are getting to see their heroes. You know, at, you know, get out in the pitch, get their autographs. I took my my own wee boy. Uh, two years ago, I'd be friendly with Owen Kelly and stuff, so we went down to stay in Tipperary with Owen and the family just over, it must have been over towards the Easter period, and we were going to Limerick, we were playing Tip that night, the National League semi-final I think it was, and Owen says, we'll take the two boys in, my wee lad would be seven and his wee lad just a wee bit younger, so me and Owen, the two boys, went in to watch the match, and Aidan, at the minute, we, I live in Tyrone, so he's just football, he's no, I never really threw a hurl at him, he would see it on TV the odd time, and that would be the height of it. And we went down that night, and at half time, all the kids ramping onto the pitch. Aidan's torturing Connell for, can you get me a hurl? And away he goes out, and he can't even really hold the hurl. Like, and he's out, and he's out, and he's running about, and the kids, and, the, and just the whole atmosphere of it. And he must have tortured me for the next three or four weeks. Daddy, can I get a hurl? Daddy, can I go to hurl? And, you know, it was, a, it was a wise statement somebody said before that there's no myth or magic. But when you're deprived of it, there is myth and magic. You know, when, there's no myth or magic for people of Tip or Kilkenny or Limerick or Wexford because they see this every day. But until we can bring that back up to our doorstep, it's just, it may as well be in a film for us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks very much, Mickey. Let's bring Cal and Niall in to see what they think about Team Ulster idea and see if they think it can work. Niall and Cal have returned and uh, Cal is going to field the questions about Team Ulster since you maybe are best placed to have, a, have, a, have an opinion on it, a strong opinion on it anyway, Cal? Yeah, well I have a strong opinion on most things. Um, in terms of Team Ulster, um, being a, obviously an Armagh man um, and you know the strides that we have taken in terms of, I suppose in my playing um, career and we have discussed in this programme before about my strong conviction that promotion of hurling is key in Ulster to taking that next step and I've often said that the inter-county game is the, the flagship of um, getting the youngsters involved and getting them interested in it. In terms of Mickey's point um, he made earlier in relation to Team Ulster, it is well made that in order to get these young kids interested, be it with our uh, with ma, be it down, um, be it in a Team Ulster, I think it's worth a try. We need to do something here. We've got Gail Foss coming in. We've got a you know a, a renewed vigor in terms of promoting Gaelic games in this part of the world. And really, hurling needs to be put at the forefront of that. You know, and to my mind, you know, football is doing well. But in my county and in other counties, we really need to focus on the hurling and driving that. And I think a team Ulster seeing the best players um, across down um, across Antrim, Fermanagh. Um, Calvin coming together, being competitive at a high level, be it Joe McDonough, and then, and I think we have players in this part of the world that can compete with the guys from um, the weekend, with the Tipperaries, with the Ronan Mahers, with the Kilkennys, with the Walter Walters. Because at club level, 
the Cushion Dolls, the Lock Eel, even my own club have gone down and played um, some of the t against the top players, the Aidan Walsh's. Um, we played Kinturk and Aidan Walsh was on that team and we uh, have done very well against those type of teams. So at club level, if we can do it, why not a team Ulster to try it and to see, you know, is this going to push forward Harlan in Ulster? Would the worry be that teams or counties like Fermanagh may suffer in that Fermanagh is essentially the Lisbon Law? Will they suffer? I think, I haven't played against this floor, a couple of those players would make it into an Ulster team, but it's the way you structure it. We're not saying an Ulster team and nothing else. We're saying Fermanagh can still operate in a league and can still play because like, at the end of the day, after their league, where they are competitive at their level, and you can still have the tier championship, the Larry Marr, the Nicky Rackard, and there is still room for a team Ulster there in the calendar. Like, you know, we're sitting here today, um, just coming into August, and a lot of those intercounty seasons uh, are over over a month, if not two months. So there is room in there for a team Ulster. And uh, as Mickey said, we're trying to promote the game in this part of the world, and why not try it? You know, what, what have we got to lose at this point? Mm -hmm. Moving on from Team Ulster, uh, Super 8s are on this weekend now, they're throwing Dublin's a dead rubber, but Donegal Mayo's the game, I suppose, us and Ulster will be watching anyway. A uh, huge game, huge game, you know, throwing Dublin, as you say, it's, it's a bit of shadow boxing, you know, Mayo Donegal is, we're hoping, you know, it's been a pretty good football championship by recent standards, and we're hoping this is another game that can really sort of take it to the next level, it's, it's the beauty of these games in the third matches being in home venues so you've got Donegal going down to what'll be a jam-packed castle bar everything on the line we saw at Throne and uh, Donegal last year we saw Monaghan going down to Galway last year there is round three absolutely fantastic match in round three uh, on the game itself I just feel that Mayo having the week off is just a golden ticket for them I've seen them against Down, I watched them on TV against Armad. they looked like a tired team that just managed to do enough Most better improved obviously against Galway no teams needed a week's break like Mayo needed it. And I think that sets it up for a really, really good clash. And I think it'll tell us, because we don't really know, still for me, I'm not 100% sure where Donegal are. They were a Division 2 team. They came through Ulster, obviously had a really big win against Throne. I just, this will be the litmus test to see if Donegal are genuine All-Ireland contenders. They come out of Castle Bar with any sort of win, because you can never write Mayo off. We can say, yeah, this is a team that really, really have a chance to pushing Dublin and who knows after that. Did you make a point on Twitter about um, home venues uh, they should do away with the Croke Park round? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's for as Mickey mentioned earlier, for a start, you know, it gives Dublin a very significant advantage. Like, you know, the fact that they have two Croke Park fixtures for one, which is an instant reason why it should be changed. But it's the beauty and we've seen it in Cavan, the club championship uh, last year. We've seen it in Armagh with their new format. What Cavan did was they took the games which were in Breffney, which on great pitch and players I'm sure loved it, but we said, no, we're going to take it back to the clubs, we're going to play these in club grounds, Armagh have a home fixtures now, so you're getting championship games in the club, and they're absolutely brilliant, they're absolutely brilliant, they're not crowds lost in big stands or anything like, it's boys round the pitch, you know, uh, the crowds round the pitch, they're on top of you, and it's just fantastic, and the more that, the better, because a full house, it doesn't matter if it's 10,000 or 30,000, if you're a full house, you've got a special atmosphere, it doesn't matter the ground, and we get, need to get more of that, rather than having a quarter full or half full Crow Park, where you can hear the seagulls squirking at the top of the Cusick stand, you know, so more of that, the better for me. Uh, Mickey, that sort of ties in what you were saying, like the GA benefits whenever people can see these players, you want these goalies coming up to play a team Ulster up here? 
Stanton Camogues led the Iron Final as part of the Camogie Finals Day in Croke Park, and it was an unreal experience to be in Croke Park, but it was empty. You could hear yourself think, like, you know, and we end up drawing that, and the replay was played in Ashburn and, and me, or it was tiny, but it was rocking. You know, even when I think back there, even this year, uh, I'm not sure we'd have beat Galway if it hadn't been for the crowd in Parnell Park, you know, so there's a special atmosphere and I've got, I think the Super 8s from watching them, watching on has been a great idea, but I, I nearly wonder, is there a potential there to start spreading the brand? You know, there'll be counties who may never make a Super 8s, but that doesn't mean their, their, their county ground couldn't host one of the games and all of a sudden you're bringing the, the Dublins and the Thrones and round sort of pockets of Ireland, that, you know, even for talks like, you know, there's, there's talk of casement, you know, Imagine a Super 8 game, Dublin, you know, something like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but there'd be a neutral venue between the two counties that could all of a sudden bring it and bring that special atmosphere around the country. Are you, have you noticed up in, uh, in Belfast, well, you don't live in Belfast, but in Belfast, the absence of casement? I mean, that point can be made. Okay, casement sort of has been used as, as maybe an excuse at the time. I don't know necessarily that building casement will all of a sudden turn Antrim into winning all irons again, but... Like it's it's just whether you like it or not, it was the hub of the GAA within the county. You know whether it was the Glens or whether it was Belfast, Casement was your hub. You know and and, and it is you're sort of uh, on a boat now with no award at the minute. You know there's no real place to call home. And I know even from taking teams myself over the years, one of the first things you always want to find is a home. You know whether it's uh, with Antrim Camogues. I remember we would have trained in Clock Bills simply because the guaranteed we could have it every week. It wasn't a bit, but it was a home. You know you knew where you were. You got comfortable in your environment, and I, th- I think Antrim needs a home. Like, mm-hmm. just finally now, Roy Gallagher left this week. Um, any thoughts on that? And we've now got three counties with no management. Yeah, yeah. Follows Malachy O'Rourke, Monaghan, and Damien McLean, Derry out the door. Uh, minor surprise. He's there two years. His record's fairly good. Took him up to Division Three. Also, finally, in his first year. This year, during course for Division One until they went out to Armagh, out to Cross McGlen, and put in a really bad performance. Lost to Mead. So, on the whole, you'd have to say he's done very well there. We all know the problems with Fermanagh. Very limited pick. Uh, it's my understanding they might be losing a few players next year again. Uh, so, two. I would say it's a minor surprise. He's he's done well, Rory, and you speak to players from Donegal and Fermanagh. They all speak very highly of Rory. So he's obviously a very uh, smart fella, and perhaps who knows, maybe he could end up in a dairy gig or something like that. I don't know what Rory's plans are. I'm more interested in the successor because I can't really think of too many options. Uh, Malachy Rourke, I'd imagine, would want a bit of time off. Uh, he'll not. Like being linked, but Kieran Donnelly's a name that springs to mind. But Kieran's committed to Scotstown at the moment. Dom Corrigan's always thrown in and obviously done fantastic work with St Michael's this year, taking to the Hogan Cup. And there's some incredible players come through under his watch. Probably going to take a couple of years for them to come in. So it's a really, it's an important time for Fermanagh football that they don't fall away. They get a good appointment in, and the main focus for the next two or three years should be getting those group of very talented youngsters. And we've seen them beat Donegal in the under 20s this year getting them through, getting them experience, and then in a couple of years they should be ready to rock again. Okay. So that's us for the week. Thanks for coming in, lads. Thanks for watching, and you'll see us again in a fortnight's time. <laughs>